and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am here. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. Arif, since we last spoke, a lot of things have happened. The Avs returned from their second COVID protocol. They've went one and one against a two-game series against the Blues here, and then they've secured themselves a playoff spot as well. So wanted to get into that a little bit and talk about just clinching that uh, playoff spot this week and how nice it is to kind of be a little bit relaxed and take that monkey off your shoulders. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. And, and excuse me for catching my breath. I just finished running, and I'm really, really happy for your case that we are on Skype because I have not showered yet. So it smells yeah. brutal in my apartment after a good 10-mile run in the Colorado sun. But I, uh, that felt like I was flexing on on our podcast. You listeners. absolutely were. I, I kind of was. I got Not my. Not a I big got, deal. I just I got, did ten yeah, miles. Just, just a ten miles heat. on a Sunday. I got I got my second Pfizer shot yesterday, and I was you know a couple hours before game started, and I was about twenty eight hours ago from the time we're recording, and I was expecting to feel like crap today, uh, but I felt fine. I'm also fasting and practicing Ramadan, so I just ran ten miles, and I'm. I'm ready to do this podcast and take a nap until the sun sets and I can eat. So it's 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 going to be a day. Uh, for the Avalanche's case, I think um, I think they came out and played exactly the type of way that I expected them to, which is kind of like the first pause, like I mentioned last episode. They they didn't really miss a beat last time, and they didn't miss a beat this time. What we saw was going into a road city, like you always say, it's hard to sweep a team on the road, and when you do do it, it's it's pretty damn impressive. Against the Wild a couple of weeks ago, they won the first one, and then Minnesota came back and smashed them. And then against the Blues, they they won the first game. Dubnik looked fine, and then they they lost the second game, and it was basically a, a star-studded battle between McCarr and McKinnon and Ryan O'Reilly. But obviously, the Blues came out on top. It's great to see the Avalanche clinching a playoff spot this early in the season. And by early, I mean we're like 80% through, 56 games, and you know there's about 11 or 12 left. Uh, all in all... Nothing too crazy, nothing to be worried about. Players are going to come back from COVID and come back from injury, and Grubauer will be back in net, and, and there isn't really much cause for concern, if you ask me. Absolutely not, and we'll break it down game by game. What I wanted to start the podcast off with was just a quick conversation on the clinching of the playoffs, because you look around the league, and there have been three teams to clinch the playoffs. Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota. All three How about of which, the wild? How about all them? three of which in the Honda West division. So, you know, I it kind of makes me start to think, all right, when we were discussing which one is the weakest division, I think we might have found our answer, and that is the Honda West. Because of the bottom feeders, we're kind of easy for the Minnesota's Avs and Vegas Golden Knights to clinch a playoff spot before anybody else. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd agree with you if you just listed one team, but you listed three. So while the bottom feeders are brutal, that just means that the teams at the top are pretty damn good too. And the Avalanche have played Minnesota eight times, and I believe they were 5-2-1. and one. And uh, they got two more games coming against Vegas. Oh, look at that. I forgot to silence my phone. And they got two more games coming against Vegas. And, uh, you know, those aren't easy battles either. So while there are easy teams to play, there is also difficult teams to play. And and we've seen that. We've seen some spirited bouts between the Avs and Wild. We've seen some good games between the Avs and the Golden Knights. Um, at this point, the divisions are what they are. The schedule is what it is. The teams that are great are kind of inflated in terms of numbers and wins and points, and they're kind of moving up to the top, but it's an even playing field. I mean, if the Avalanche come out of the West division and, uh, they're in the final four, and let's say they have to play a Tampa or a Toronto or a Carolina, 
Tampa, Toronto, and Carolina are facing the exact same predicament. They're playing a team they haven't seen all season, um, and it's an even playing field. So I don't really think too much about what the weakest division is. Weak division, strong division, it doesn't matter what the case is. The Avalanche were going to make the playoffs regardless. This is too good of a team. Uh, you want to complain about Minnesota making it? Sure. You can probably say Minnesota's you know, taking advantage of bottom feeders. But the Avalanche, no matter what division they're in, put them in a division with Tampa, with Florida, with Carolina, they're still going to the playoffs. So I'm not too concerned about that. My only reason for bringing that up is, you know, you look around the rest of the league and right now, Arizona in that fourth spot in the West at 47 points. Around the rest of the league, you go across to the Central, that fourth spot is at 54. Mass Mutual East, Boston is in fourth at 60 points. And then you look up north in the Canadian division and Montreal's in fourth in 49, so only two points above Arizona. But the other two divisions, that fourth place spot is a lot better of a team. And like I said, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because I just want everybody to not necessarily pump the brakes, but just kind of realize that all the numbers that we've been seeing from the Avalanche and the top producing, you know, advanced analytics in the NHL on so many categories, it's great, but there's still, you know, there's there's still a long way to go, i.e. the playoffs. And I, I know they're a great team, but I'm hesitant to really jump on board of this being the greatest team in the NHL because of the inflated numbers that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, nobody's, I mean, if you're celebrating the Avalanche being this good of a regular season team, then then you're doing it wrong. I mean, let's not forget 20, not 20, sorry, 12 months ago, you know, 13, 14 months ago, whenever the heck that pause was for the 2019-20 season, the Avalanche were the third best team in the NHL. It was Tampa, it was St. Louis, and then it was Colorado, and they were just barely, or Boston as well, and they were, they were just barely behind the Blues in that top four. So there really is no difference in terms of their regular season points and standings and how good of a regular season and dominant team they are. Uh, if that's what you're you know, celebrating, then you're doing it wrong. I mean, for the Avalanche, the, the reality is the regular season is a place, and this is why early on in the season we kept saying, trust the process, trust the process, is because uh, I, I said process completely the offense by accident. Process. I think the offense. We've been saying it so much and, and, and doing the Canadian shtick for so long <laughs> that it's stuck. Um, but trust the process, and, the, and, and the, the funny thing is that's exactly what's happening. It's not about how many points or winning the division. It's about playing the right way leading into the playoffs. And they're 18-2-2 in their last 22 games. They just played a game where Kadri had no wingers on the second line uh, because Don Squain ran in or out. He was playing with Comfort and Soderberg. Um, Byram is still not back. Devin Dubnik is starting third straight game on a new team, all three games on the road. I mean, they seem fine, and, and, and I'm not too concerned about their advanced analytics numbers. I'm not by any means giving them the cup. There's still the Carolinas and the Tampas, even Toronto, dude. These are good teams that they're going to have to face in the third round if they even get there. So I think it's it's a little bit too premature to really celebrate anything just yet. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. You're not giving them the cup yet, and it does feel like, you know, especially some media members nationally are already kind of saying this is the team that's that's going to win the cup. But most, I mean, I mean, they were doing it. They were doing it last year yeah, too. Yeah, that's true. This is this is not that's new. true. That's true. But just most importantly for the players' mentality, right? They have to remember that what they did in the regular season was good and all, but the real thing doesn't start until the playoffs. And you can kind of just wipe from your memory everything that happened in the regular season. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what's going to happen. And and that's the interesting thing is right now that that first round matchup isn't really solidified. Because if you win the division, you're playing either St. Louis or Arizona, most likely, uh, outside chance of L.A., but probably not. It's going to be St. Louis. And if you 
uh, lose to Vegas, which right now the Avalanche are four points back of Vegas with two games in hand. So they got to win both those games in hand to be tied with them. And they have two matchups against each other. So it could go either way at this point. Uh, but if you win the division, you're, or sorry, if Vegas beats the Avalanche for first place in the division, then you're probably going to play Minnesota. Uh, which brings me to my question for you. And I'm still trying to decide what I would rather have. I mean, Arizona is the easy answer, so we'll take them out. But who would you rather face in the first round, St. Louis or Minnesota? Because I let, let's hear your answer first, actually. Yeah, I mean, I was saving this for later in the podcast, but let's get into oh, it nice. now. Okay. No, no worries. Um, I think St. Louis is the scarier team here. Yeah. And I, I yep. think you've definitely seen the Avalanche struggle more. I mean, you look back to that two-game series with the Wild where the Avalanche just blew the tires off of them, right? It was like 11-1. to 1. Um, And so... I think Minnesota just puts a lot less fear in your heart. You'd rather see them. And after watching that game two last night, St. Louis obviously is capable of handing it to the Avalanche every once in a while. That's that's exactly my point. And I know we're talking about a Minnesota team that beat the Avalanche, what, 8-3 to three or whatever the hell that blowout game was. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was 8-3. And the, the difference between Minnesota and St. Louis is Minnesota reminds me of the 2014 Avalanche. They have a young, exciting rookie named Kirill Kaprizov. And if you remember, McKinnon had 10 points in that seven-game series against the Wild as an 18-year-old. Just just unbelievable numbers. And Kaprizov could do that in a series, even less than seven games, uh, assuming he doesn't get that far. But they're not as polished as the Blues in terms of they're just a bunch of young guys that are kind of riding the momentum. And if they go down to nothing, they're going to be a little bit more... Uh, you know, worried about losing the series than a team like the Blues. And and let's face it, we're going to talk a little bit more about him later, but Ryan O'Reilly has Stanley Cup pedigree. He has Conn Smythe pedigree. And as we saw yesterday, as we've seen before in Denver, he has the ability to take over games. And in my opinion, more so than an exciting rookie like Kirill Kaprizov. Because O'Reilly does it in this kind of, in this kind of way where he like literally mind fucks you because he's so good defensively, he's so good offensively, he's on the power plays, on the penalty kill, he's always there, and every time you try to get away from him, there's number ninety. He's good at the face off circle. He does it all basically. So, I uh, there there's something about St. Louis that scares me more than Minnesota. I think the Avalanche could beat either one. I just think that if you are the Avalanche, you would much rather play the Minnesota Wild in the first round. But that's not to say that I'm going to be upset if the Avs win the division and have to play St. Louis. It's just, it's an interesting discussion. Absolutely. And I think I bumped into a tweet the other day that said Minnesota leads the league in games won while losing the shot count, right? So um, that's very 2013-14 Avs right there. Yep, it's it's the PDO bender. Yep, that's what it is. So yeah, let's get into game by game here. Not too much to get into from me from uh, game one against St. Louis. I think the biggest standout was Burakovsky, right? He had a couple goals there, and like I've said a million times, I'll say it again right here, I love when he gets put on the top line and gets put around talent. He produces. I know the second the second line isn't too crazy of a drop-off talent-wise from the first, but for some reason, when he gets with a McKinnon or a Landeskog, he's a star. Well, that's the exact point that I wanted to bring up today, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Because we saw last year in the bubble, the Avalanche did the whole McKinnon, Rantanen, and Burakovsky thing while Landeskog was playing with Kadri, and then that quickly shifted back to Burakovsky. Okay, so here here is the biggest thing to get from that. And this is kind of the discussion. I know you kind of mentioned something about Gabe Landeskog on your hockey show with Ryan Bolding about him not being, you know, as big a star as the other guys on the team. And uh, this is where I have to disagree with that. 
Landeskog is far more important to that line with McKinnon than you may think. And the reason why I say that is this. When McKinnon was a rookie, he played with Stasny and Landeskog. Stasny changed. He's gone. McKinnon shifted to center. Any line McKinnon has had with Landeskog and another winger works. When the Avalanche tried to force the Burakovsky thing the first time, it was Burakovsky, McKinnon, Rantanen. It didn't work. If you take Rantanen off the top line, which you'd be stupid to do, and put Burakovsky up there, it works because Burakovsky replaces Rantanen as the high-scoring winger and coincidentally the the uh, the elite uh, European winger. And Landeskog's on the other side doing his Landeskog thing, grinding, getting the pucks in, uh, battling in front of the crease, doing all the things that he does, like against the Blues, scoring a goal from in the paint because Makar's doing a wraparound and Landeskog's crashing the net. You're not going to see Burakovsky do something like that. So the craziest thing about Burakovsky being on the top line is it works, yes, when it's with McKinnon and Landeskog. And you're also kind of saying that you or I could skate with McKinnon and Landeskog and even produce something, kind of. I mean, I can barely skate. I'm a runner for a reason. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can, but uh, that that's kind of the point that I'm getting to. Is if it gets to the point and it's kind of that McKinnon, dry, or sorry, McDavid, Drysaddle conversation that that people always have, or the Marner Matthews conversation. If it takes putting Rantanen with somebody like Kadri and Nichushkin in order to jumpstart the second line, why not give it a try? I mean, I know I just said it would be stupid to, you know, to switch around Rantanen and McKin- uh, to, you know, take away Rantanen from McKinnon, but it's worth a shot. I mean, Burakovsky works up there. You put Rantanen with Kadri and Nichushkin, suddenly you have two high-flying lines, and you know what? You have an offensive zone face-off. You're down a goal late in the period. Put Rantanen with McKinnon and just watch them go crazy. So there is options there. That's what happens when you have such a deep team. But if there's anything that I've learned about Burakovsky, that's the kind of player he is. He needs to be playing with stars, and he fits. And that's not to say that Burakovsky is not a good player, because it took not Jerome Ginla, not Phil Kessel, uh, not any of these stars that the Penguins had. It took Chris freaking Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis to be the guys that could keep up with Crosby. So for Burakovsky to be able to play with stars, especially someone like McKinnon, it is a talent in itself. And with Andre Burakovsky, I feel like a lot of times, you know, he'll do really great with the top line, score two goals, get three points the next game, and then all of a sudden he just drops off, and then he forces Bednar to change the lineups again. Yeah, it's usually, I mean, he's a, he's a streaky scorer. Right. It's, it's what scorers do. Right, it's usually Burakovsky that's making him, you know, forcing Bednar's hand rather than somebody playing well that has to go back up to the first line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're going to experiment and juggle with the lines, might as well get it out of the way before playoffs so that way you know what you're going into. Because I, I felt uncomfortable last year heading into playoffs and we were still kind of juggling these lines and still putting Landeskog on the second line. I want that to be set in stone and ready to go by playoff time. Yeah, but it's also good to have options because if your line gets figured out, you need to be able to switch it up. And don't forget, there's a guy named Giannis Donskoy who's scoring at over a 30-goal clip uh, over a full 82 games. Not that the season is that long, but he's someone that you can use in, in that kind of role too, whether on the second line or third line. And when he does come back, he'll likely be playing with Nichushkin and Kadri again on that second line. So, uh, or sorry, with Nichushkin. Or, or Burakovsky, I forget. The lines keep getting jumbled up, but you get the point. There is a there is an option there for Bednar to switch around guys when he needs to without making too much of a drastic change. But the biggest thing for me is Landeskog and McKinnon got to be together because that's the pair that works. Whoever you put on the other wing, be it Rantanen, be it uh, Burakovsky, I bet you if you put Donskoy there too, he'll do the same exact thing. Yeah, you got me convinced. I'm with you on that. Can't move Landeskog because we've seen it in the past. 
Um, another guy I wanted to really touch on is we saw Brandon Saad score in that first game against St. Louis, and he did it in a fashion that I've seen him trying a lot lately, right? He skates down the side, and he tries that power move right in front of the crease and yeah. tries to stuff at home. I love that move, and he's been, like I said, he's been doing it a lot lately and finally clicked on one, but that's not something I expected him to have in his tool belt coming to the avalanche. I thought he was more of a right in front of the net, you know, more of a Landeskog type. Plant yourself in front of the crease and try to bury home some rebounds. That power move he's got is starting to be really effective and I'm I'm really liking it. Yeah, I mean he's he's a power forward power forward through and through. He's not necessarily the most skilled guy, but he's gonna make those kinds of plays that you're not gonna see from someone like Burakovsky or Don Scorer, like we're talking about, the more finesse skilled kinds of goal scorers. That's what makes Brandon Saad so important for this team. He's joining this team as somebody who has won two Stanley Cups, playing with stars like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. It's not about what he brings in the regular season. It's about what he brings in the playoffs. Similar to Nazem Kadri, he's a playoff performer. And Kadri, while he never really was a playoff performer before coming to Denver, uh, granted he did have some good years in Toronto, you just know Kadri's kind of game is the kind of game that's going to excel in the playoffs. And lo and behold, five game winning goals, 17 points, I believe, in 15 games or whatever it was for Naz. And now he's operating at, you know, less than a point per game. Let's see what's going to happen in the playoffs. If Saad starts to pick it up, now you have an option to put him back with Kadri because right now he's playing on that line with Nachushkin and Jost. Uh, and then you still have the Burakovskis to figure out. You still have Nachushkin. You still have Carl Soderberg. Where, I mean, there is just a lot of depth on this team. And while, like like you said, you want to have the lines figured out, it's good that Jared Bednar has options when something doesn't work. Because what we saw against Dallas was when the lines or when the offense started to go cold, which happened for like five minutes because everybody was scoring in that series for both teams, you have options. And this time, they're going to have a ton of those. Well, and it's also tough to break up that third line right now with Joe Snichuskin yeah. and Saad because they're just And they're that's just why relentless. he has it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he has it. And that's why Kadri's playing with Confer and Soderberg. It's because when Donsko and Rantanen come back, they're going to be top six wingers, and Joe is going to continue to play with those guys, which means Carl Soderberg is going to be on the fourth line probably competing with JT Comfer, with Pierre-Edouard Belmar, with Matt Calvert, with Logan O'Brien, with with Liam O'Brien, Logan Logan O'Connor, Liam O'Brien, those damn Irishmen. (laughs) But there are so many options, and that doesn't even include Martin Kaut. You have six or seven. You're you're basically four forwards deep if you include Kaut. Let's not even include him. Liam O'Brien is a good good choice to include. You're three forwards deep in replacements that are good quality NHLers. Yeah, absolutely. Next thing I wanted to get to, and this really goes for game one and two but I noticed it in game one and that's the abs power play it's gotten to a point where opposing teams whenever they get a penalty called on them they are throwing a fit on their way to the penalty box because they know how dangerous this team can be on the power play I mean of the seven goals that they've scored in uh the last two games four of which were on the power play and Landis Coggs was almost on the power play yesterday so um power play is just looking good and I just love how how much fear it puts in the opponent's heart and you just you can just tell on their way to the box yeah I'm going to read you a paragraph from a story I wrote yesterday which we'll talk later about which we'll talk about later the avalanche have scored a power play goal in each of their past five games heading into Saturday's matinee they were four for 16 meaning they had one in each game Saturday's game against the Blues they were two for five so they're six for 21 over their last five games which is pretty damn good and I understand the 21st opportunity of those opportunities was that late game chance yesterday against the Blues where they were completely shut down by O'Reilly and the penalty killers so that sucks but I'm with you man like it's getting to that point where 
if the Avalanche go on the power play, you're going to see a goal. And that five on three, I mean, you knew it was coming. As soon as Burakovsky gave that puck back to Makar, it was going to be a goal. And there was a couple chances where they could have scored before that. I mean, even all game, how many times did uh, Devon Taves get a chance to kind of come in through the zone down Main Street or down Broadway, use whatever shtick you want from whatever announcer you want and get an opportunity and would hit the post or get <laughs> blocked or whatever. So the power play has just gotten so dominant. And the last two games has been without Randon on it or Don Square. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So obviously great to see them buzzing. Um, I guess this is a good place to take a quick second to tell you guys about DraftKings. Um, For some, the draft is the most exciting day of the season, the NFL draft that is. For others, it is a chance to build on last year's success. Whether your team has the first pick or the last, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing the excitement to you. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is adding the thrill, adding to the thrill of the draft with a chance to turn $1 into $100. We got another one. In free bets, if a quarterback is drafted first overall on Thursday night. Turning $1 into $100 in free bets is simple. All you have to do is place a wager on any draft day outcome, and you will be eligible to win $100 in free bets if a quarterback is selected first overall. Think you know how your team is going to do in this year's draft? Put your money where your mouth is and bet on it with DraftKings Sportsbook. There are a number of ways to take action on the draft, so head to the app right now to see what DraftKings Sportsbook is offering for Thursday night's main event. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up for a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is telling you is letting you turn $1 into $100 in free bets if a quarterback is selected first overall this Thursday night. Don't forget, enter code MHS during sign-up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Winnings paid out in free bets. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And this is an easy bet right here. So you're going to bet a dollar for Trevor Lawrence to get taken first overall, which is likely going to happen, and then you have $100 in free bets. So your one hundred, your $1 is 100 bucks to use on, you know, hopefully Avalanche, Puck Line, and them actually hitting it and not losing to the Blues. But it's, it's a simple get. It's a simple play. Uh, there's no reason not to do it if you haven't signed up with DraftKings yet. Yeah, I'm not too familiar about with the uh, NFL draft or who's getting drafted first. I'll but- get you caught up. The, uh, the Lions always suck. And the Broncos haven't had a quarterback since Peyton and before that since Elway. And we're probably going to have another disappointed Denver audience by hey, Thursday. Fine with me. That way they can focus their attention on the avalanche. And oh, let's face it. They, they don't do that even if the Broncos suck. <laughs> tell their friends about the avalanche. Uh, the avalanche's best podcast. And that's Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast, right? But those $100 free bets are really fun. Whenever I get them, I kind of try to do something ridiculous, some sort of insane parlay that's going to make me rich on those free hundred dollars but never works out yeah i mean you could have dropped it on ryan o'reilly scoring a hat trick and you know been made a killing at this point but unfortunately none of us thought he was going to do that yeah let's get into him what i really liked about him last night and of course you miss him right he's such a great player and he's such a generational talent that you're like man if if there was a way the ass could have kept him that would have been sweet but obviously things had to go the way they did to get us where we are today so not complaining but what I really was impressed by from Ryan O'Reilly was yesterday when the Avalanche went up two nothing, and you, the camera goes right to Ryan O'Reilly, and he's Animated. even drops he's he drops off. an f bomb. Right, you could yeah. clearly tell he cusses. He's 
just slapping at the puck. He's still on the bench shaking his head, and he got pissed off. And what did he do? He turned the switch on, brought his team back into that game, and ends up with a hat trick on the empty netter. So uh, just really impressed by what Ryan O'Reilly brought to the table on that game. That's the kind of player he is, and my earliest, or not my earliest, my earliest memory of Ryan O'Reilly is his uh, first career two-assist game. It was when Duchesne scored his first career goal at the Joe Louis Arena, where when, when it was really apparent that Ryan O'Reilly was going to stick past nine games in his rookie year. But one of my favorite memories of Ryan O'Reilly, and you can look this up online, coincidentally, it's his teammate now. The Avalanche went into overtime, and you can even you can even watch the highlights where Peter McNabb talks about every time O'Reilly goes to the bench, he's slamming the, the door, and he's pissed off, and he's breaking sticks. And it was a game where it went to overtime, and there was 10 seconds left in overtime, and I don't know if you remember this. Justin Falk, who's now his teammate, was with the Hurricanes, had the puck at the blue line, skates over the blue line, and O'Reilly just gives a poke check, takes the puck away, goes into the zone, and fires a slap shot from beyond the circles, which you don't see anymore, past the Carolina goaltender, who I can't even tell you who it is anymore, and scored with one second left in overtime to give the Avalanche the win. It was one of my favorite memories because heading into the overtime, and this is when overtime was four on four. It was 2012 or 2013. I, I don't remember. 2012, I believe. Uh, yeah, because he was wearing 37. And, and uh, heading into the overtime, O'Reilly had a ton of chances in the third period to end that game for the Avs, and he didn't. And every time they would cut to O'Reilly, he's on the bench, he's slamming the door, he's slamming sticks, he's pissed off, he's cussing, he, he wants the game. And that's all I could think about yesterday was that was the Ryan O'Reilly we saw, except now he's 30 years old, he's polished, he's won a Stanley Cup, he's won the Conn Smythe, and he's one of the best leaders and captains in the NHL. So shout out to Ryan O'Reilly. That's the exact guy that we knew he would become, uh, and, and he's still riding high and doing it at 30 years old. Right, there's nothing he doesn't have. He can do everything yep. on the ice, and he can do it all at an exceptional level. I mean, I remember when he was here with the Avalanche, there's two players that will always stand out to me as just having an, a, a level of, above everybody else in the intellectual front, right, on the hockey IQ front, and that's Ryan O'Reilly and Matt Duchesne, just because with the combination of skill and the things that they would think about and how to be creative on the ice, it's just stuff I've never seen before, and I haven't really seen it since. I mean, no, not to rip on McKinnon or Antonin, they're amazing players, but they don't have that unique creativity yeah. about them. They just let their skill speak for themselves, where Ryan O'Reilly just has this pinch of creativity that's just uh, unreal. Um, so yeah, obviously a, a great player, a great player that we miss. And it was nice for me to see uh, Nathan McKinnon beat him on a couple draws yesterday too. Yeah, uh, but it, it's it's also the, the crazy thing about Ryan O'Reilly is his hockey IQ, I mean, it's it's a lot better than Duchesne, even though Duchesne's got it too. But his hockey IQ is so much better than someone like Duchesne's to the point where he has that longevity factor. He's 30 years old, and I mean, his nickname is Factor too. He's, he's 30 years old, and he's been in the league since he was 18, which shouldn't have happened. And he's still riding high. He's still scoring at a point per game. He's He's got two hat tricks this season, only three in his career. Um He's beating guys like Kale McCarr along the boards, which Kale openly said, you know, the guys, you know, I, two of the goals yesterday or today, my guy beat me. And Ryan O'Reilly was one of them. Meanwhile, Matt Duchesne's in Nashville this year. He's injured right now, but in 27 games, he's got four goals and nine points. And, and the craziest part about that and the craziest part about how far Ryan O'Reilly's come, if you remember O'Reilly's first three years in the NHL, he had 26 points each season. While Matt Duchesne was putting up 50, 60, 70, whatever it was, well, now Matt Duchesne is at 598 career points, 
O'Reilly entered the game yesterday with 599, had a four-point game, a hat trick, and an assist on the Hoffman game winner. He's got 603. So now Ryan O'Reilly's got more points than Duchesne. He's got a Conn Smythe. He's got a Selkie. He's got a Lady Bang. He's got a Stanley Cup. He's, he's a captain, and he's riding high, and he's still doing it consistently, and he's taking on guys like McKinnon and McCart, two of the most exciting players in the NHL, and still doing his thing. It's, it's just yeah. unbelievable what this guy can do. I mean, he's really tough, right? We saw him going one-on-one against Gabe Landeskog. Gabe yep. Landeskog trying to, you know, out-physical him and not even phasing Ryan O'Reilly, not even bumping him off his balance. Yeah. And it reminds me of our conversation last week about Patrick Marlowe, right? I feel like Ryan O'Reilly is a perfect candidate to at least get close to that Patrick Marlowe record. He's already at 849 games played. And so he's, 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 not, there. he's not slowing down anytime soon, and uh, he's doing it without a freaking visor. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking is, you know, 10 years from now when we're talking about him breaking Patrick Marlowe's record and he's the only guy people are going to be wearing no people are going to be wearing halo helmets by there friggin' <laughs> looking like the Power Rangers and O'Reilly's still going to be riding high with his beautiful beard, no visor, just killing guys along the boards. It's it's he's he's a talent. He's such a great like guy. It. If you've been following me on Twitter since before I moved to Denver, you know how much I you, you know how you know what I think and how much I respect Ryan O'Reilly's game. Uh, since since his third year in the NHL, I've been on his bandwagon a lot more than Matt Duchesne, and that's when I was just a hardcore Avalanche fan, and it has stuck since. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to say you're a fan of a player, even if you're yeah. in media, oh, because absolutely. sometimes yeah. certain players, you know, I'm a fan of Semyon Varlamov. I'm not ashamed 100%, to say. 100%. Same here. And, and you root for stories, and you root for good people, and nothing made me happier than seeing Ryan O'Reilly get named the Conn Smythe Trophy winner after winning the cup when people were all bashing him because in Buffalo he said he lost his lust and love for the game. Came out 9, nine 10, 11 months later, won the Stanley Cup, won the Conn Smythe Trophy, and here he is two years later doing what he did to the Avs yesterday. Well, enough about Ryan O'Reilly. Let's get back to talking Avs. Um, you know, like we said, <sighs> he's the one that got They're away. kind of bound to lose a game here <laughs> down the stretch eventually, so not harping on the fact that they lost last night um it was a pretty well fought game uh you know that the blues are fighting for a playoff spot while colorado's just kind of coasting into theirs so just trying to make some tweaks and adjustments while blues are fighting for their lives but the penalties was really the biggest issue i think from jared bednar at the end of the game i mean they really lost the game on that five on three when you had ryan graves and nazem kadri in the penalty box so um it, it's all season long, you can even go back to last season, I feel like Ryan Graves and Nazem Kadri are often the whipping boys for Jared Bednar. He's often, you know, putting them in the doghouse and having them both in the box there really killed you. So, you know, it, it wasn't egregious, but having those penalties are just something you really got to tighten up because they were... Uh, Nazem Kadri's was kind of a dumber penalty. Ryan Graves, not much you can do about it, but, you know, just discipline stuff that you can't have down the final moments of a hockey game. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is the Nazem Kadri penalty, when it happened, I kind of had this opinion of like the Blues player was impeding in Kadri's ability to skate through and kind of like he he hovered over him. And I kind of thought it should have been an interference on the Blues guy. But then Bednar said it perfectly post-game. If you're Nazem Kadri, you chip the puck in, you want a forecheck, skate around the guy. Why are you trying to swim and go through him? All you had to do was skate around him. It's a very simple play. It's a boneheaded mistake at a bad time the the graves one uh bedner was very uh he wasn't happy with that one either but like you said it's just that one was just more bad luck uh and then you just you saw the goal coming i didn't think it was going to come that quick but ryan o'reilly dropped past to krug one-timer hoffman he's a goal scorer he's going to score that goal 10 times out of 10 so hell of a play by the blues hell of a goal 
Uh, and then obviously the Avalanche had a power play opportunity of their own. They couldn't really do much with it. But those penalties just can't happen, especially at that time of the game. And the thing with Nazem Kadri is he's kind of hot or cold. He's one of the best players in the NHL at drawing penalties. And he's he's top three, I believe. I haven't looked at the number in like a month and a half. But he's top three in the NHL at drawing penalties over these last two years. Or he was the last time I checked. Uh, and that doesn't include the fact that the Avalanche also have McKinnon, who's drawing penalties like, you know, just like that whenever he wants to. But then sometimes he takes the penalties like that. You just don't want to see that in the playoffs, which we didn't last year. And hopefully we don't this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, you'd like to see a little bit more offensive production from Nazem Kadri. We talked yeah. about, you know, the spotlight might not be big enough. Wait, wait till playoffs. He'll turn it on. But I mean, it's been eight point eight games since he's gotten a point and 15 since he's recorded a goal. So you, you want to see that elevated and you want him to start turning it on because he was a big reason the Avs did what they did in the playoffs last year. So he's yeah, a, he's a pivotal piece. Yeah. And let's just, let's just get these guys back Rantanen and Donskoy who they're not injured. So they'll be back soon, obviously from their COVID breaks. Uh, and let's get the top six into what it should be and solidified. And then let's let these guys pick up their game and do what they got to do because the avalanche need Kadri, uh, especially going into the playoffs. If you're going to play in Minnesota or St. Louis. We discussed the greatness of Ryan O'Reilly and how him getting pissed off really triggered some amazing play out of him. Well, you, after the game, and even during it when the Avs kind of uh, gave up the game winner there, you saw Nathan McKinnon pissed off, and he was really pissed off, and not to mention <laughs> at you. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't mad yeah. at you, but he didn't want to give you a full thought-out answer, did he? He just had that fire under him. I mean, even just losing one game first game they've lost in a, in a long time and you see him pissed off about it that they kind of gave it away I, I think that's a good sign I like pissed off Mac me too I mean I'm not going to complain about it there was two questions asked to McKinnon there was one from Peter Ball and one from me and the entire thing lasted 55 seconds for Peter's question he didn't really give him much of an answer uh he kind of tiptoed around it and just like did that whole like I'm going to challenge your question thing uh with me it was just a simple no mm-hmm and it's 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 funny to I mean what I, what my question was and and uh, you know maybe I worded it wrong bad timing I don't know or maybe it's just McKinnon pissed off I asked him playing a team three times on the road in a row and you have a fourth one you know coming up like you never see that is that something that has is has there been any discussion about that and the difficulty of beating a team that many times in a row in their barn and he just said no and uh, that kind of brings me the reason why I ask that is because. One of my favorite things about the scheduling change when the Avalanche came back from their pause, I know they added that game with St. Louis and they made it so that all four of them are in a row. But one of my favorite things is because they added that game against the Blues, they are now not playing Vegas twice in a row. They're playing them once and then a week or so later, they're playing them again. And I think that is a good move because to beat Vegas on the road and then see him again a week and a half later and play him on the road again, you can win both those games. But to expect to beat them on like a Wednesday and then again on a Friday in Vegas, like we've been saying, is is near impossible, especially against a team that good. So I really, really like the fact that those two games are broken up. Uh, but, you know, to as a trade-off for that, they got four straight against the Blues and now they're on their, their third in a row since the COVID pause. I think it was a combination of Nathan McKinnon being pissed off from the loss and Nathan McKinnon already having expressed his annoyance of the schedule, right? Because not yeah. only are you playing St. Louis four times, but then you have San Jose coming up four times, and then you have to play L.A. four times still. Not in a row for L.A., but you still have four games against L.A. So, you know, I think just him again thinking about 
the schedule and the way this year has gone, I think just like he's, I, I he's don't want to talk about it anymore. He, yeah, he's ready. He's ready for the playoffs. And then, oh, by the by, in the playoffs for the first two rounds, which is the farthest you've gone in your career, these same seven teams you've been playing, you're going to see two of them again. So I know he's over it. He just wants to get to the third round and fly to Carolina or Tampa or Toronto or wherever the hell and play someone new, Boston or whatever it may be. Um, and I don't blame him, but. Pissed off McKinnon is good because the Avalanche again they're 18 two and two in their last 24 in their last 22 games. 22 games is a long time. It's over a month. You shouldn't be able to list off all of your team's losses over the last 45 days off the top of your head. But we can. It was the Minnesota massacre. It was yesterday's loss. It was the shootout loss that Johansson played in Arizona, and it was the overtime loss in Vegas or against Vegas at Ball Arena. That's it. Those are all the losses the Avalanche have had since like March 3rd and it's April 25th uh, or March 5th or whatever it is. So they're doing pretty damn good. And to have McKinnon get pissed off over one loss in a game where he knows he was on the center stage on national TV and had an opportunity in a 2-0 lead against Ryan O'Reilly and the Blues, a team they might face in the playoffs, you can see why he's pissed. And that's the kind of McKinnon that I'll take any day of the week. Yeah, I mean, what did he have, a three-point night? I feel like that's pretty typical when he has a big night in points and then the Avs lose. He's... He's, a, he's he's frustrated. Pissed. Yeah, yeah. You tend to see it a lot. Um, next thing I wanted to get into was Kale McCarr's goal. If you remember uh, from that second game against the Blues, it was the opening goal of the game. And reason I wanted to get into it, nothing too crazy about it, but I just think you, you see you see Nate, uh, you see Kale McCarr's genius on display in that goal, right? Because he gets the puck at the top of the zone, kind of walks it in a little bit, a little bit. He expects. Bennington to slide across his crease all the way so what he does instead is shoot it short side where Bennington was basically sliding away from and I know it's minor details of the game but that's exactly the kind of stuff that's the hockey IQ that's the hockey IQ that separates you from everybody else and the funny thing is on that play he had Burakovsky on one flank and he had McKinnon on the other flank and McKinnon's winding up ready to go kind of like the goal he scored the 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 third goal the half scored where McKinnon just blasted it past Bennington and I literally said out loud, I was watching the game with Mike, and I literally said out loud, I was like, give it to McKinnon. And he gives it to Burakovsky, and I'm like, wrong side. And Burakovsky just gives it back to him, and it's in the back of the net. I've, I've never put a sock in my mouth so quick. Like, he made me have it for that. But, I yeah. mean, that's the thing. He put the puck where Bennington wasn't expecting it to, and he passed it to the player Bennington wasn't expecting. And instead of Burakovsky shooting, who he is a good shooter, he gave it back to Makar, which Binner likely wasn't expecting either. Yeah, I did the same thing. I remember watching the replay and I said out loud, why did you shoot it there? And then I quickly said, oh, I'm not complaining. He scored. But yeah. it, it was such, you know, most people would go to the wide side, the opposite side of the net of where the goalie is. But he knew that Jordan Bennington was yeah. going to be sliding. He hit that. He almost hit Burakovsky with it, I think. But <laughs> just picked that perfect little spot there. And I just wanted to take a second to recognize the genius that was that goal. And I'm excited yeah. for Kale McCarr's uh, playoff run here. Yeah, and he's picking it up. He hasn't really had a very consistent year in terms of playing games, even though he's still got the best defensive numbers in literally every category and likely would be running away with the Norris Trophy if he didn't miss so many games. But that was a very long-winded way of saying Kel McCarr is awesome, and I'm excited to see him (laughs) in the playoffs again. Uh, Last thing I want to get to from the Blues series here, we saw the shorthanded roster with Donskoy and McKinnon out of the lineup, not to mention the guys who have been out. Donskoy and Rantanen. I always it's so hard. Miko McKinnon, Rantanen, you always get those. There's a lot of them, and the nine and the six, and the two and the nine and, and the, the nine. O- O'Connors and the O'Briens and the O'Reillys. Yeah. But anyway, um, 
Donskoy and Rantanen out of the lineup. Avs playing with kind of a shorthanded group here. We saw Martin Kaut get a couple games in. What did you think of his performance? I mean, he did exactly what I thought as he came in. He was a guy. He had a couple good opportunities. Nothing too crazy. Nothing bad. Didn't stick out in any kind of way, not positively or negatively. Um, and it brings me back to what I've been saying all, all along is the avalanche are so deep now that with guys like Martin Cowan and Shane Bowers, you don't need them to step in and be NHLers at 20 or 21 anymore. You can do the Detroit thing that they did with Tatar and Nyquist, who are 24-year-old rookies. So that's kind of what you can do now with someone like Cout. But when you need him because you're shorthanded, come on in and give us a game, even though it was on the fourth line, because that's how deep this team is. So no complaints. Uh, if the Avalanche have to use him in the playoffs, that means they're four injuries deep in offense, which is concerning. Uh, hopefully he doesn't get to that point. But if it does and he has to come into the lineup, you know he's he's at least going to be able to hold his own. It's a bummer to see so much time pass without him being in the lineup but it's also fun to see that happen because you can see the progression that a player makes yeah. from spending so much time in the AHL and the one thing I noticed about Kout's game you're right he wasn't making himself seen which is kind of a good sign from a depth player like that but I did see you know after whistle stuff that he was getting into and I feel like the AHL is kind of putting a little bit of uh, meanness and nastiness into his game that he was the one kind of instigating stuff around the net post whistle and I kind of like yeah. to see that you know emerge from him well when you're playing on a line with Belmar and, and O'Brien it's hard not to get into that mood yeah, and or point. into that mode I should say well, it's, it's very easy to do that and you're playing in the AHL that's probably a constant thing down there people trying to prove exactly themselves. yeah that's that's what everybody's doing down there the thing is and you just said it it's a bummer to see him not play for so long but that's what we need to get away from as 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 you know followers of the avalanche and what avalanche fans need to get away from is that idea that a 20 21 year old first round draft pick should be in the nhl because no this team is deep alex newhook doesn't need to be a regular next year if he is it's because he's that damn good bowen byram this year shouldn't have been a regular but he is because he's that freaking good Bowers and Kaut, let them develop at a slower pace. You don't need them yet. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, hopefully Kaut eventually gets there because I know the clock's ticking I on him. I think he will. I, I, I think he will. I think as a, what is he now, 21, I think by the time he's 24, which is three more years. And three years is a long time, but that's fine. This team is good. You don't need to rush him. That's That's the beauty of having such a good team. And then we also saw Patrick Nemeth make his return to a, an avalanche sweater in this series. What did you think of uh, his his game? I, I thought he was good in uh, the first game. I thought he was okay in the second game. There was a couple turnovers that I saw that were like kind of yikes. He kind of centered the puck between the hash marks in front of Dubnik to a blues. It was a perfect tape-to-tape pass, but it was to the other team, and that's the issue. Uh, 24 on him looks really weird, but you know what? He's a guy we know. He's he's going to bring exactly what you expect out of him. He's not going to play as many minutes as he did the first time he was here. Uh, but he's a guy. And just like I was saying on offense with all of those forwards that you have, I mean, think about it again. From the forward unit, Belmar, Soderbergh, Comfer, Calvert, O'Connor, O'Brien. Three of those guys have to sit. And that's crazy to me. If the Avalanche are healthy, you might play Belmar, O'Connor, and Calvert. But that means Comfer and Soderbergh are healthy scratches. That's a deep team. On defense, it's similar because we know the top four when they're all healthy is Byram, Taves, Gerard, and McCarr. Then you have Ryan Graves and Patrick Nemeth. Those are your top six, but you have Connor Timmins knocking on the door, Jacob McDonald, who's been doing that all season, Dan Renouf, who's been pretty good when he's in, Dennis Gilbert, who's pretty good when he plays, you know, losing a fight and getting injured aside. You have a lot of depth again. So again, for Patrick Nemeth, it's going to be the same thing as Carl Soderberg. Your spot is not guaranteed. 
And if you're going to have turnovers, well, then Jacob McDonald's going to play, Dan Renouf, Dennis Gilbert. And, and that's all, you know, not including the fact that Eric Johnson is out until God knows how long. He might return in the third or fourth round if the Avs make it that far, according to Joe Sackick. But there's just a lot of depth on this team where no matter who you are, someone's breathing down your neck. And that means you need to be on your game all the time. Yeah, and that being said, I'm not going to lie, I don't think I'd be the least bit disappointed if we don't see Nemeth again because there were a couple moments in this last couple games where I took a step back and was like, why did they bring Nemeth back? I mean, it was fun for a second to say, hey, we know this guy, we remember him, but he's just not very good, and if it was just simply to bring a big body, and I kind of wonder, you look at both Soderberg and Nemeth, right, bigger bodies, if their idea of bringing in someone big was a soft Nemeth and a soft Soderberg, I don't think that really achieves the goal, so... Well, here's the thing with that. Soderberg is a good player, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. Uh, it's good to have someone like him be able to step in when injuries happen. We're one Tyson Jost injury away from not having a third-line center, and yes, that is a, a, a stab at JT Comfort, who's not been good this year. In case of emergency, break glass. Basically, yes. So there is somebody get there. Get Nemeth out. It, yeah, and, and, and on defense for Patrick Nemeth, it was a case, again, of... We don't need necessarily a big body, but we need somebody, yeah, a big body, someone who can do what we expected Eric Johnson to do, and what better player to get than someone you know who he's going to bring to the table. But if he doesn't play well, okay, the guy we've been using all year named Jacob McDonald's going to take your place. And if he doesn't play well, Dennis Gilbert can come in and fight and be a big body. He doesn't play well, Dan Renew. There is options, and that's the beauty of it. And that's why when you know my, my opinion kind of shifted on this because when I asked Jared Bednar about this after the deadline, I said... Uh, have you thought about how difficult it's going to be to pick your forward lineup and, you know, same for the defensive lineup when fully healthy because you have so many options now? And he said, no, it's a good it's a good problem to have. You don't play well, you sit. That's it. Simple as that. I don't care if you're Tyson Jones. You've been having a great year. One or two bad games. See you later, man. JT Comfort will send to the third line. Carl Soderberg, Pierre Edward Belmar, Logan O'Connor. There's so many options now. Right. Yeah, definitely a luxury to have for... Jared Bednar to be able to punish people like that. I mean, not to say he wants to punish people like that, but there's somebody like. But you your said, spot is not guaranteed. Somebody breathing down your neck, ready to pounce at the opportunity. So, yeah. Um, that's all we really have in terms of the abs. I want to start kind of winding us down. One thing I really liked is kind of the new feature that you started at Mile High Sports called the Dean's List. Kind of walk us through that. Tell us what went into uh, the thought there. So I've been trying to think about a different way to write an article aside from my game story every game and I wanted it to be an opinion based off of my thought and that was something I've wanted to share is my opinion people want to know my opinion and I want to give it so I didn't just want to write a story called five takeaways everybody does it it's not you know it's not that exciting yeah I was, or grades or yeah grade, player grades or five thoughts or whatever <laughs> I was going to name it something like Arif's five I was trying to think of a name I'm not going to take the credit. I'm going to give it to Mike Chambers because he said, do some play, play, you know, play on one of your names, whether it's Air for Dean. And then he stopped and literally went Dean's list. And I was like, yeah, that's perfect. So yeah. So who's going to make the Dean's list? Uh, it doesn't have to be a player. It could be a thing. Uh, it doesn't even have to be five things. It could be seven, eight, nine, if I think of it. But who made my Dean's list from that Blues game was Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, Ryan O'Reilly. The Avalanche's power play, which is that paragraph that I read a little bit ago, and Devin Dubnik's career versus the Blues as kind of like a nice little statistic in there. Um, so it's which is? Gonna, which is that he has played. Uh, he's, I believe, his career numbers against, and it was just you know listing out stats. It wasn't really nothing impressive. Yeah. Um, 
and it was something that I was preparing in case the Avalanche won that game is he's 13-8-5 against the Blue. 13-8-3 heading into this season, and he's 2-1 and one against them now. Hmm. So he's now 15-19-3 against the Blues, which is the team he's played the second most in his career, I think, behind Nashville. But it was just a nice number to be like, hey, Devin Dubnik, we brought him in. You're playing three games on the road against the same team, and it's a team you've seen a lot before because it was a division rival when you were in Minnesota. So it was we kind know of... Bednar looks at that a lot. I oh, absolutely. Back in the Bernier days in Varley, he was saying, well, I'm going to look at history that these guys have played against each team, and then we'll decide from there. So that's yeah. something he definitely considers. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not going to play Johansson in any of these games. So you had no choice because Grubauer's out. But it was just a nice little tidbit there. You know, so that's kind of something I'm going to do with every single game. Now you're going to get a game story and you're going to get a Dean's list of, of, of things that I've recognized from that game. And the coolest thing about that story is it's so easy to write it as the game goes on. It, it, you know, I, I wrote the Ryan O'Reilly part as soon as he scored his first goal and got a 600th career point. Then I had to alter it three more times because he ended the game with four points, six oh three, and a hat trick. So it was kind of like, damn, this guy's good. So you know, that's that's kind of my uh, idea behind it. Every game now will have a game story at night, and then publish either later that night or in the morning, even though it'll be done right away. Is the dean's list. So keep an eye on it. Let me know what you think about it. Let's debate it. Let's talk about it. Uh, you guys might want to read about my opinion. Well, I want to know what your opinion is too. So let's chat on Twitter. I personally love the idea. It's almost kind of a little bit of a homage to our three stars of the week, right? It's kind yeah. of Arif Dean's wrap up of Arif Dean's wrap up of this game, and I like it. I, lo- I love it. So, I didn't even, t- you know, this wasn't even your idea to talk about it. This was my idea because I was yeah. like, this is a good idea. We got something here. This is really unique. So, yeah, uh, I want people to keep their eye out for the Dean's list after any hockey game. Yeah, and that's kind of what Mike told me yesterday. He was like, you know, in ten years from now, when this is bigger than Elliot Friedman's thirty-one thoughts. And people ask you how you thought about the name. You can be like some old veteran hack thought about it <laughs> once before a game. So, uh, you know, shout out to him for that pumping my tires a little bit. But I'm excited to write it. I, I, I think it's great that I'm finally giving myself an opportunity to share my opinion more than just writing a game story. And I'm, and I'm excited to see where it goes, especially this year in the playoffs. Well, you also have a podcast where you share a lot of opinions. Well, yeah, I mean, through writing. Not We might have to. Them. We might have to, to change the name voice. to the the Dean's List podcast, your go-to Avalanche podcast. We'll yeah, see it's, it's we'll kind of got to be like Steve goes. Dangle, where it's like the podcast is your name, and then everybody else on the show is just like a prop. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that to you. Hey, we'll see how it goes. If it blows up, we might have to. We might we might just be forced to do it. Um, rather than the three stars of the week, I want to kind of skip over that and get into something that I uh, was intrigued by this morning when I was watching NHL Network. And I don't know how often you're watching NHL Network, but sometimes when they don't have much else to put on, they are tired of showing you the 50 greatest goal countdown. They have this <laughs> little show with Jackie Redman, right? And a lot of times they're talking to players or they have Rupper on to talk about hockey. And this morning they had Jackie talking to a handful of players, and she asked them, what is your hockey nightmare? And it really, you know, it took me back because I thought about it for a second. I was like, yeah, I have a hockey nightmare. And that's a lot of times I have this reoccurring dream where I'm showing up to the rink and I have no gear. I, for some reason, forgot my gear and I was supposed to play. It was my start in net and I didn't bring my equipment. And it, it was Interesting to me because I know a lot of people have that. So first thing I want to do is, A, tell our listeners if they have any hockey nightmare stories. I want to hear about them because I'm legitimately intrigued about that. I love it. If you're a hockey player and you have a reoccurring nightmare about hockey, share it with us, please. I'm 
genuinely curious. Yeah. curious. And then it was funny because Miko Rantanen was one of the people that answered her question, and I don't think he understood the question. He just oh, gave some sort of hypothetical, terrible scenario. He's just like, uh, when I get when we lose ten nothing and I'm a minus five. But then a couple of the <laughs> other answers were the correct, you know, idea there. Um, but I wanted to check in with you. Do you have any hockey nightmares or maybe? covering hockey nightmares that you've had in the past and you know that maybe haunt you from time to time yeah and and thanks for putting me on the spot i'm not a good hockey player my hockey <laughs> nightmare is showing up to an avalanche game and forgetting my laptop because i am a journalist for a reason have Let you me, legitimately had that nightmare i've i've legitimately i like i haven't actually woken up to that nightmare but i've had the thought where i'll be driving and i'll be like oh my god and i'll kind of like wiggle around my backpack even though i literally put my laptop in there four and a half minutes ago mm. and i'm like oh my god is it there is it there i'm pulling into the pepsi center parking lot and i'm like oh my god is it there is it there so that's kind of mine let me show you a little story uh so you know I, i'm not very good at hockey but i i can skate i have the equipment if i play drop in or, or or in a beer league or anything i'd be the worst guy on the ice but i'll keep up like that's that's the reality i'm not being self-deprecating it's just who i am you know i'm i'm not a hockey player but uh a funny story in 2012 i was covering the Michigan Dearborn Wolverines of the ACHA. So this is a level obviously below NCAA D1, D2, D3 in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, and uh, after one of the games, the coach and the players were having a friends and family skate. So they had all of the friends and family on the ice after this game. It was a tough fought game. I think there was a goalie fight in this game. It was like 9-5. There was a ton of penalty minutes. But at the conclusion of the game, when the players were skating with their families, Coach looks at me and goes, hey, you got your skates in your car? Go grab them. So I go grab my skates. I'm in a button-down and nice you know, dress pants, and I'm skating. And everybody gets off the ice except for myself and one of the goalies. Shout out Micah and uh, the coach and his girlfriend. So the coach decides, stupidly, to bring a puck and a stick onto the ice. So I'm sitting there in the net taking pictures with the, with the goalie and you know, just screwing around with him. And then I hear, Arif, look out. And I look up, and a puck cracks me in the eye. And, uh, you know, I have a couple scars on my eyebrow, but it's not the one at the top. It's the one along the side. And I had to go to the hospital and I got six stitches, obviously was covered by the school. Um, but the funniest story about that, and it's, you know, it kind of relates to your worst hockey nightmare is in a game that had 14 goals, a goalie fight and a ton of penalty minutes. The team journalist, the team reporter went home <laughs> with six stitches, showed up to school the next day in game two of the series with a baseball sized scar right above his eyes. And 90% of the players weren't even there to know what the hell happened. And I just walk into the locker room and it was, what the hell did we miss? So uh, shout out to those days and shout out to the worst hockey nightmare as a reporter for me is going home with stitches, even though you don't play hockey. So that's, that's my worst hockey nightmare. And I lived it. I've taken a puck to the eye and it exploded my face too. Yes. And I needed nine stitches. My story about it is I remember going into an urgent care, literally with half of my face exposed, and they turned me away. And I was like, I have health insurance. Oh what do you mean? And they sent me to another urgent care. I'm like, you can't just give me stitches. But nine stitches later, Beautiful. I'm fine. And I've got a cool scar right where I've always wanted one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, send us your hockey nightmares. I'm honestly genuinely intrigued by these. Um, I don't know. I've always had a fascination with dreams and interpretation of them. Yeah, uh, that that's that's hilarious. I, I got to catch this segment and I got to catch the rant in part because that's hilarious for him to just be like, oh, yeah, I don't score goals and I go minus five. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, and so a lot of the other players' answers were pretty good. Um, like Clayton Keller, for example, he told an actual story that happened to him that he showed up to the rink and was missing one of his skates. Oh so my God! It's almost kind of like my oh Lord my uh, my nightmare. But yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Anything uh, you want to get out there before we head out and catch the next round of games for the Colorado Avalanche, and then we come back and analyze those. Yep, that's that's the process. That's how it goes. We got one more game against the Blues, followed by a game against the Vegas Golden Knights at Vegas on Wednesday. So we'll probably see you Thursday, if I had to guess. Uh, nothing for me follow us on twitter keep interacting with us i love the interactions i love the following uh read my game stories read the dean's list and let me know what you think and share those hockey nightmare stories with us on twitter yep i'm really looking forward to them so of course thanks for hanging out with us tell your friends tell your mom's friends tell your friends moms tell them all we are an entertaining podcast i hope and i hope you're enjoying it so of course like comment subscribe do all that stuff and you know, don't forget to tell Arif how great he's doing this year. So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. We'll be back Thursday. Hockey's for everyone. And we out you.